Beautiful night of worship tonight. Thank you, worship team, for that. Lord's good, isn't he? Hallelujah. So greetings to everyone. I'm Brother Don Cullen. Welcome to those of you who are watching online tonight. I'm glad you could join us. Uh, Looking forward to getting into the Word of God tonight. Hope you are too. Um, So we're going to start with a scripture, and that's going to be in Revelations chapter 21, verse 3. If we could turn there, please. It's not fair when the worship team does a great job and then they kind of get the preacher a little bit teary and then he has to recover. (laughs) Put some eye drops in, but I didn't do that. Anyway, praise God. Lord's good. He's worthy. Revelation 21, verse 3. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Amen. So last time I shared, a couple weeks ago, I shared about finding out God's will for our lives through the process of being transformed by Christ, an inner transformation, and by avoiding twofold process, inner transformation, and then outwardly avoiding conformity to the world. That is specifically taking on the outward customs of this world that surrounds us. And a word I used, you may remember, I I made up a word called transformity, which is all about the working of God's Spirit from the inside out. God transforming us through the Holy Spirit and through His Word. And this is in contrast with conformity, which is all about taking on the corrupting influence of the world, which is constantly trying to work at us from the outside in. And through this process of transformation, I talked about last time, God helps us as we go through this process to discover his specific will for our lives. So tonight, to start with a question, are you living tonight in God's specific will for your life? Or are you on the way to knowing it? For sure. If you are allowing God to transform you from the inside out, and you are not going through the conformance with the world, you are on your way. That's what the Bible says. That's what Romans 12, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4 talks about. God renovates our minds, and change starts to happen from the inside out at the same time that we resist the change from the world that's trying to corrupt us from the outside in. And I think that's a good way to summarize my last message. Let God change you from the inside out. At the same time, resist changing to be like the world from the outside in. And if you do that, you're on the right path. And by the way, I did out of that, I think I told you when I was finishing up that sermon, I went online and I created a t-shirt. And uh, they, they completed the t-shirt and they sent it to me. So this is, this is the t-shirt. Yep, and it says, uh, it says, transformity, not conformity. At Romans 12.1, and then it has, the, uh, it has the caterpillar below the butterfly. So, yes, I can now add that to my resume, designing a T-shirt. 
but no, I will not quit my day job. <laughs> but I do want to wear that out in public just to see if I can strike up any conversations over that, you know? Be kind of, it would be kind of neat to do that. So praise the Lord for that. So that T-shirt speaks of that metamorphosis, which is the word in the Greek, to change from the inside out. But brethren, as we continue on this journey in this life, to find and live in God's will for us, I got thinking about what I think the Lord really led me to think about what is God's highest good and acceptable and perfect will? God's, not ours. God's purpose for himself. And of course, God's will for our lives, for our lives, will fit in with his will. They'll work together. Is that too deep? I hope that's not too deep. I hope not because I think it is helpful to know for certain as believers in Jesus what God says about what his will is, what is most important to him, what is his purpose. I think knowing his heart will help us in finding out what our part in it is. I think it will give comfort to us. I think we will feel his love in it. And I think it it can carry us in dark times. I think it provides a lot of direction for our piece of the puzzle, so to speak, knowing what God's highest priority is. If we're his servants, we're going to try to align the best of our ability what God's call for our lives is with his will, his purpose. And we're going to be working that out, finding out what our specific, God's specific will for us is. God's specific will for our lives will always be understood in the context of what his will is for all mankind and what his will is for his, himself. I'm going to explain that to me. Explain it to you. Now, in my family, there's always, it seems like in my house, not always, but frequently, there are jigsaw puzzles going on in my house. Let me use an analogy, analogy tonight of a jigsaw a puzzle in explaining God's will for your life and the greater puzzle as to the entirety of God's will, even his purpose. And I think the puzzle piece is a good analogy because many people seem to be puzzled, right, by what God's will is for their lives. And you know something about uh, jigsaw puzzles? Is everybody here familiar with a jigsaw puzzle? Or maybe you're from another foreign country that doesn't have jigsaw puzzles, but I assume they're worldwide, a worldwide phenomena. So a jigsaw puzzle has many pieces to it. And This is pretty funny, me talking about jigsaw puzzles, because I never do them. But like I said, they inhabit my house. And the jigsaw puzzle has a large picture on it of some sort. And it could be flowers, it could be scenery, it it could be a comic book character, it could be all different kinds of things. That's the bigger picture. That's the bigger picture. And then there's all different numbers of parts, right? I guess there's, you know, there's 20-piece puzzles and 100-piece puzzles and 1,000-piece puzzles and 2,000-piece puzzles. I think the biggest we go in my house is 1,000 from what I hear from other people. And, uh, <laughs> and as you know, each piece has a unique look to it, right? It has, it has angles to it. It has, you know, a, an outline to it. And mostly what differentiates it is the patterns on it, you know, the colors and things like that. And that's what you use, obviously, to try to finish the, the, the uh, jigsaw puzzle. And so I, 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 last time I mentioned the body of Christ, Paul used that to describe each Christian, right, as a member of the body of Christ, complex an interworking and interdependent organism. But we're going to use a jigsaw puzzle tonight to keep it simple, because remember when I talked about the body of Christ, I left, I left pieces all over the body, pieces all over the floor, and people were kidding about that. But tonight, the worst we're going to do is leave some jigsaw puzzle pieces on the floor. 
which I occasionally find at my house. I occasionally, that's, my, that's the extent of my participation in the jigsaw puzzle. Oh, I found the piece that's missing. It was laying on the floor. Here you go. So anyway, God in his mastercraft, I'm using this analogy, has the big picture in mind for the world and for his kingdom. He knows what it will look like when it all comes together. And God knows what the big picture is for himself, his perfect will, what gives him purpose. And that is one way to explain this, I guess. So if you're a puzzle piece, going with this analogy, bear with me, if you're a puzzle piece in the greater puzzle, trying to find out where you fit, you know, what are the angles and shapes and colors of your individual life or your individual piece, if you're that puzzle piece, it could be helpful to know what the puzzle looks like at the highest level. Is that not why the boxes of the puzzles have the picture of what you're shooting for on the cover of the box? Otherwise, it would be even more difficult than it is. So, in the puzzle, you know, you're fitting with the pieces around them. That's, that's, that's all they know, the pieces around them. But what does the whole puzzle add up to? So tonight I'm going to talk about even the bigger issue of not just the puzzle piece, which we talked about last time, right? Finding out what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God by not conforming to the world and being transformed on the inside. But I want to talk about the greater picture, the bigger picture. And I think knowing the bigger picture will help you with your own finding out what God's will is for your life. Because you'll know where you're going with it, what God's purpose is. And if you don't know Jesus yet, I'm going to share with you for sure what God wants for you by revealing God's highest purpose for all of us. Because our highest purpose and the highest purpose that God has, they meet and overlap. They're one and the same thing. What he wants for you, what he wants to do for you, and what you can do for him too. It states this message clearly throughout the Bible. Now the Bible is God's message to mankind. And he's carefully preserved it for us so that we can benefit from its truth and wisdom. What does God want from you and for you? What is his purpose with mankind and with you? What does he want from you? What does he want for you? As Christians, we search out God's will for our lives through that process I talked about. But what does that master puzzle look like when it comes together? Now, granted, we're not going to see it all on this side of the earth. But in heaven, I believe we will see all of it. I think that's one of the exciting things about heaven. As I meditated on this message this past week and thought about God's purpose, I started to really feel the benefit of it in my own personal life as I thought about what God's plan and purpose for me is. If we understand what God wants for all people, then we find God's specific will for our lives within it, and it will contribute to and funnel into God's master plan. It will not run, brethren, it will never run contrary to the big picture that I'm going to describe to you, right? It's not going to be like your piece of the puzzle is a piece from a different puzzle. It will fit into God's master plan. It will fit into God's master plan. I think knowing for sure what is God's highest purpose with mankind, as described in the Bible from cover to cover, it's going to help us, brethren, in our witness to others. I really believe that because it will help convince us of what he really wants more than anything else and what he is working towards. You know, the church is all about this too. 
The church is a conduit to this purpose. It helps achieve what God's ultimate desire is. Prayer leads to this, and worship and reading the Bible. It's found from cover to cover. And again, this is not rocket science, and most of you already know the answer to this at some level. It's not going to be a revelation to you, probably, but it may be. And I don't want to go on and on holding you in suspense as to what I believe the Bible says about God's ultimate purpose. I'm going to state now what it is all about. You know, as I was putting this sermon together, it was one of those things where I kept building and building and building and building and building. And I'm like, wow, I've gone way way too far (laughs) with this building thing. So I went back and rewrote it to build to this point right here. And then I'm going to cover with it. So what, what is God's purpose? What is his revealed will in the Bible for himself and also for us? Because it's going to be convergent. I already read it to you. I already read it to you in Revelations 21, verse 3. Let's go back, let's go back there. Let's go back there. Revelations 21, 3. What is God's ultimate desire? What is his ultimate purpose? What does God want? What is his will for himself as well as for all of mankind? It's right here. It's right here at the end of the Bible. And I heard a loud, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God's highest will and desire is to have a people that are his and to dwell with us for all eternity. We know this because, first of all, the book of God, the book of Revelation, ends with this. And we know this because I'm going to show you in some detail, but not full detail, that it is found from cover to cover. I could go on for hours about this. It is the theme of the entire Bible. God bringing man into fellowship with himself and our being his people forever. Hallelujah. It is the reason that God created us in the beginning, in his image, male and female. And at a minimum tonight, I want to remind you of this so that you might refresh your relationship with the Lord. And I believe it can affect your witnessing by giving it a new focus. This message should give you comfort. This should help you with your anxieties when you know, when you know in your heart what is God's overarching purpose and will for you as part of mankind because it's his will for himself for you. As I started out with this message tonight, maybe you were guessing what God's highest purpose was for mankind. And since you're a pretty learned group, Bible-wise, your guesses were probably pretty accurate. Maybe you were in the zone, but maybe not. Maybe, for instance, you said, God's perfect will is for all men to be saved. The Bible says that. God's will is for all men to be saved. But that is only the path to him dwelling with us forever. Salvation is the path that gets us to God's desire. Without salvation, we will not spend eternity with him. So that is part of God's will is for all men to be saved. But it only gets us to this end point of Revelation 21.3. The, the correct understanding of God's highest purpose will help us in our walks. And I hope this will at least be a reminder to you tonight. This is no new thing. Brother Brian has already pointed out that there is often a flaw in the thinking of many Christians. And many Christian scholars and theologians have also said the same thing, that there's a flaw in the church sometimes as to what our highest purpose is. Now, let me jump to one misconception that many Christians have. And I'm not going to belabor this, but I'm going, to, I'm going to cover this. That misconception is that God created us to glorify him, which is true, but that was the sole purpose of his creation. 
And I believe that comes over from, actually my, my pet theory on it is it comes over from the Calvinist camp. That's my theory on it. Because the Calvinist camp is so bent towards putting one group of people destined for hell and another group of people destined for heaven. So the vessels of dishonor are going to hell and this other group over here was created solely to glorify God. And I will cover that with you. That, that, is the, that is a purpose for us. And I'm going to talk about glorifying God. But that's not our sole purpose to glorify God. You can live a Christian life and glorify God, but not be accomplishing what his real purpose is for all of mankind, which is that all men someday would dwell with him if possible. Now, they won't do that. People will choose, make bad decisions. But that would, God would love that to happen. He wills that all men be saved, the Bible says. And I believe it's 1 Timothy 2.4. So from my studies on this subject, that narrative that our God created us exclusively to glorify him, to glorify himself, I believe it was found from what I read, from what I studied in a, in a scripture. Let's cover the scripture. Isaiah 43.7. And I'm only going here because this is a not complete Christian doctrine that we exist to glorify God. We do exist to glorify God. There's no doubt about that. But it is not God's highest priority. His highest priority is to dwell with us with all, for all time and to be his people and as his people to glorify him. Hallelujah. So let's go to Isaiah 43, 7. And it's interesting because really this whole thought process, I read over 100 scriptures on glorifying God, 100 of the best scriptures, let's say, on glorifying God. This is the only one that came close to anything, saying anything about this. So Isaiah 43, verse 7. Isaiah 43, verse 7. It says here, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. And then down in verse 21, it says, This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. So that's the sole place in Scripture where it says that man was created, or God's people were created to glorify him. And I do agree, we were created to glorify God. But it is not God's highest purpose. God is not someone who, you know, God is the self-existent one. He is Yahweh. He is the I Am. He's self-existent. If we don't praise him, the angels will praise him, the rocks will praise him, the stars will praise him, the moon will praise him, the angels will praise him. He's the self-existent one. Should mankind glorify God? Without a question. Should believers in Jesus glorify God in their lives, in their actions, in their words, in their worship, in their witness? Absolutely and unequivocally, yes. All the time, with all of our being, we should glorify God. He is worthy. Wasn't that what we were doing tonight? We were worshiping him. People who love Jesus should glorify him, should honor him, should lift him up, should show the glory to others. We should praise him and worship him. He is worthy of all praise and glory and honor. He is worthy of it forever and ever. Amen. And this is very much supported in the Bible. There are many scriptures that talk about we should glorify God in our lives. Also, we should, be, we should also be ever so careful, brethren, in our lives, the flip side of that, we should be ever so careful not to dishonor Jesus in any way, right? That's what sin does, the Bible says. It brings shame and dishonor, and it does not speak of God's glory. Our lives should glorify God top to bottom, left to right, back and forth, up and down, back and forth, and, to, you know, the whole life should glorify God. That should be our goal. And that is what that transformation process that I talked about last time. God transforms us into vessels of honor that we might glorify him. 
But God is working, according to the scriptures, at a greater purpose than even the the glorification of himself. A much more selfless end than that. What could be higher than glorifying God? What could be higher than glorifying God is accomplishing what it is that God truly wants, what is central to his will, which is dwelling with mankind. Does the Bible say that God desires to save all men? It does, 1 Timothy 2.4. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is God's desire, and his will for salvation is the only means by which this complete purpose is accomplished. You can't dwell with God unless you are saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You will not dwell with God except you go through that door. Who is Jesus? Period. Period. Salvation is the way that God accomplishes his ultimate purpose, which is to dwell with us. You know, Jesus came on a rescue mission. He came on a rescue mission from heaven. He's the captain of our salvation. As Brother Brian often says, he is the hero of heaven. And what he does for us, what he did for us, it brings us into that fellowship with God that God the Father most desires. We're to glorify God, no doubt about it. And we cannot really glorify God until you're saved. But it doesn't end there. You mean, you mean being glorified is not God's greatest goal? No. God had to save us in order to fellowship with us because our sin that we inherited from our forefathers prevented that fellowship, our sinful nature. And Jesus' death on the cross is the atonement for us to bring us into that relationship with God the Father when we believe on him. The scripture from Isaiah is the only place to my knowledge and from my study that God says he created man to glorify him, though many times we are told to glorify him. And yes, he did, and we should. Praise God. But you can live a life that glorifies God and be a little bit encapsulated from what God's real purpose is. In other words, you can live honorably, pay your tithes, go to church, but miss out at some level of what God's real plan is which is to get more and more and more and more people believing on him so that they might live forever and dwell with him forever, which is God's ultimate purpose. And I want to remind you of that tonight. And I want to remind myself of that tonight. Let's go to um, 1 Peter 2.11. Please, 1 Peter 2.11. Let's see one of the roles, one of the roles of glorifying God in accomplishing his purpose, which is to get more and more men to dwell with him forever. Let's see one of the roles of giving glory to God, why it's important, as part of achieving God's ultimate purpose. 1 Peter 2.11. And this scripture is going to really line up beautifully with Romans 12, what I shared last time. Of course, it's the Bible. It's it's all synchronized. 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. By the way, that would be like conforming to the world thing, right? The conformity that I talked about. Verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's the transforming part of the equation. We live honorable lives. We live lives that glorify God. It actually helps us in doing what God's central will is. That God be able to visit people. That God be able to have encounters with more people where they're at as they observe our actions which glorify him. 
God's looking for the intersection. He's looking for visitations with more and more people as we live lives that glorify him. When we don't live lives that display the best characteristics of Jesus, we fall short of that purpose, don't we, brethren? We actually, we actually hurt that cause. That's what, happen, that's what happens when we engage in fleshly lusts. We're conforming to the world, and that brings dishonor, not glory to God. Like I said, I would never suggest anything but glorifying God. When we have the right theology, brethren, and the right understanding of God's word, in line with what God really wants for our lives and the lives of those around us, this affects our actions. This affects our actions. It helps us align with God's central purpose. God's central purpose is contained throughout the Bible. It is found from Genesis to Revelations. I already covered the Revelation. It's much more obvious than this single verse from Isaiah. You know, it is found in the Torah, right, or the Pentateuch, uh, the first five books of the Bible. In the first five books of the Bible, uh, basically, it's, it's kind of interesting. I don't know. A lot of people consider Leviticus the most boring book in the Bible because they don't understand it. And I don't understand it completely either, so there you have it. But one thing I have learned is it's not boring. <laughs> and in, the, in, the five books of the, in those first five books of the Bible, they build really from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus. Leviticus is the central of those five books. It has a central role in that. And I'm not going to get into all of that tonight, but basically what's interesting about it is it builds to the crescendo of atonement. In the center of the book of Leviticus, there's atonement for the people of Israel. And God's presence is there. God comes to dwell with them in the center of that book. It's the center of the Pentateuch. It's actually the epicenter of it as you get into the middle of it. But otherwise, in other places in the scripture, let's go to some scriptures here. Um, let's go to... Uh, Let's go to the beginning. Let's go to... Oh, actually, let's go back to Revelations for a moment before I go on tonight, if you don't mind. Let's go back to Revelation 21. I'm going to read one more scripture there before I proceed. Revelation 21, 3 we read. Let's go to 21, 6. Twenty-one six. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. At the very end of the written word of, of God in the book of Revelation, what is it God stresses? He stresses at the end of the book that the same thing he stresses throughout the whole book. What does he say at the end? He says here, that I will be his God and he shall be my son. So God wants to dwell with us, but another theme that goes right along with dwelling is that God wants sons and daughters. God wants a family. That's why the word of God is, you know, God doesn't want to dwell with strangers. He wants to dwell with a family. He wants mankind to dwell with him as part of his family. And you see that there in that verse, that we shall be his son. And, 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 and that's what God is looking for. He's looking to build a family. When we encourage people to be saved, we are helping build God's family. You're going to see that in some other scriptures that I'm going to cover tonight. God wants us to help build his family. He uses family terms. When he, right here in Revelations, he's already used the term son. He's already used the term bride. These are family terms. God is looking to build family. He's looking to build a special people that he can dwell with for all eternity who were saved through the Lamb. Hallelujah. God is looking for us to help him 
develop more family that he will spend eternity with. God wants a family that he can dwell with for all eternity. His greatest desire is to dwell with us. That's why he uses these family terms. What family terms does God use? He uses father. He uses son. He uses brother. He uses sister. He uses daughters. He uses friend. He uses all these intimate terminologies. This is, this is who he wants to spend eternity with, his family. And he wants an ever-expanding family. You know, and of course, this is not a new revelation, brethren. This is not something new. Brother Brian has shared this premise before. Over the centuries, Christian theologians have put their minds to this, and they've developed really very solid catechisms. You know, I know religion can create catechisms, and we get a bad taste about them. But many of the catechisms that have been created, in particular by Protestant churches, uh, when, when the Holy Spirit was moving through those churches back in the 1600s and 1700s and 1800s, these catechisms were really the compilation of a lot of really strong theological thought and biblical thought. The, these men would study the Word of God, and from that, like we have done, like, you know, we have a, on our website, we have a, our, our doctrinal statement, right? Well, that wasn't taken lightly. That comes from the Word of God. It's supported by the Word of God. We gave that a lot of thought through the years, to make it reflect. And anyway, for instance, let me read to you, this is the Heidelberg Catechism. From the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer six. It teaches that humanity was created to truly know and love God and to live with him in eternal happiness. That's what I'm saying to you tonight. This is God's ultimate purpose. That's a good, that's a good summary. That's very beautiful. The Westminster Confession of Faith, shorter catechism, question and answer one. Humanity's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. These men studied the word of God. They thought about the word of God. And that's the conclusion that they came to. These historic confessions capture precisely the biblical theology of the Bible. God wants to dwell with man. That is his highest revealed purpose to us. And I find it helpful when I consider my life as a puzzle piece in his greater picture. What did Jesus say in John 14? You're familiar with this. You can turn there if you want. Let's turn there. John 14. I'm going to cover the theme now of God dwelling with man. You're going to, it's amazing how, how, how through and through the Bible it is, what his heart is, what his goal is. Let's go there. John 14. This is one of my favorite passages. John 14. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, when we are troubled, we should know that he has sent the Comforter to dwell with us in the meantime. He's, he's dwelling with us right now. He's coming again for his people, but in the meantime, he has left the Holy Spirit to dwell with us. You know, he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, didn't he? He dwelt in the tabernacle made by human hands in the wilderness and again in the temple. Jesus came on a rescue mission to earth, as I mentioned. He walked among us and showed us the way. He's preparing the new Jerusalem, which will descend from heaven. It is his end goal to dwell with us now while we're on earth. And he has also said, brethren, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's someone who dwells with you. Look at I'm in your house and you're not going to kick me out. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, but Lord, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you kick me out, I'm going to wait on your doorstep. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he's coming again, brethren, to take us to himself, right? The wonder of his will is that God created people so that he might have a family. You know, just like most folks are, you know, most of us have been motivated that have families. We've been motivated to create a family, to create other human lives that could be part of our family. You know, you don't create children so that they might be out of your lives, but that they might be near and part of your lives, intimately part of your lives. If, if, if you were just going to create children to disperse them over the earth, like, oh, I'm going to create children. Okay, you move to Siberia. You move to China. Talk to me once a year. No one would do that. It's a beautiful thing. The family is a beautiful thing. It's representative of what God does. That is why the family is so central to the stability of this world, to the stability of this nation, to government, to individual well-being, to the church, to the kingdom of God. This is God's pattern. It's why Satan hates families. Hates, hates, hates families because they represent the best of what God wants. And this is what God models his kingdom after. He is the father. We are his children. We looked at the end of the book. Let's look at the, let's look at the beginning of the book. I know this is simple, brethren, but I'm going to wrap it up in a little bit here. I believe it's profound. To know God's purpose for your coworker, for your children, for your neighbor, for the woman at the grocery store, for the guy on the street corner, even for yourself, as you discover what your role is as the puzzle piece in the bigger picture, it's going to line up with this purpose of God. This is what God's working towards. This is what motivates God. This is what, this is what gets God jazzed up, so to speak. Creating more children for heaven to dwell with forever. God wants to make them part of his family, the people that we encounter. Everything he has done and everything he is doing is to make his family bigger and bigger and bigger so that in his great love, more people can live with him forever and ever. Let's go back to Genesis. Now we're just going to go through some scriptures here. I'm probably three-quarters of the way through this. Let's just touch on some scriptures so I, you don't know I'm not just making this stuff up. Genesis 3.8. We're at the end. Let's go to the beginning. And then we're going to go a few scriptures through the middle. Just a small sampling. And then I'm going to make some conclusions how this can affect our lives and our walks. Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord, God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve before, obviously, because they knew his voice. He had spoken to them before, and they knew even the sound of his walking. They knew what God sounded like. They were familiar with him. He was already fellowshipping with Adam and Eve before the fall. He was with them from the beginning. It was his desire to dwell with mankind. Later, you can follow the progression of God dwelling with man through the Old Testament. Let's, cut, let's just go right through a few scriptures. This won't take much time. I'm mostly going to read the scriptures to you with little commentary, but I want to show you Exodus 29.43. 29.43. Let's go there if you would. I want to show you this progression, what God's desire is from cover to cover. With Adam and Eve, he was in the garden with them. He wanted to be with them. At the end, he wants to take a people to heaven with him which will then be the new earth. Exodus 29, 43. 
Exodus 29:43, and there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God. That sounds a lot like Revelations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell, that, why, why, why? That I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. That sounds a lot like what we just read in Revelation 21 at the end of the book. Now let's go to Leviticus, the next book up. And let's see a portion of the blessings of those who obey the Lord and live under his covenant. Leviticus 26, verse 9. Part of the blessing of knowing God is that he's going to dwell with us. He's going to be with you. When you're an obedient child, he's going to be with you. Leviticus 26.9, part of the blessing of obedience. 26.9, for I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I shall not hate you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. Verse 12 sounds like the garden. I will walk among you and be your God, God, and you shall be my people. That sounds like the Garden of Eden. Interesting that God did that God here again, as he did with Adam, he's going to walk among them and be their God, and they will be his people. Now let's go to Numbers. Let's keep going. Numbers 35, 34. Let's go to one more, and then I'm going to read a couple to you, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Numbers 35, verse 34. I'm just giving you a sample of these. Thirty-five, thirty-four. Therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of which I dwell, for the Lord, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. God dwells among His people. I'm going to read you a couple more. First Kings six, thirteen, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. Zechariah two, ten. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. God's eternal purpose for us, brothers and sisters, is to dwell with us. And this continues throughout the whole Old Testament. So many verses. Now this is really interesting, I noticed when I was studying this. It goes through many verses in the Old Testament. You know what what appears at the very front, the near front of the New Testament? Let's go there, John 1.14. The word dwell is used over and over again in the Old Testament to talk about God dwelling in the tabernacle, in the midst of his people, walking among them. But in the New Testament, the word dwell appears at the front and back ends. John 1.14, it's the bookends. John 1.14, Jesus came on a rescue mission from heaven, and in John 1.14 it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Other than at the very end of Revelation, which we already read, 21.3, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. The front end of the New Testament, 
The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And at the end of the New Testament, behold, the tabernacle of God is among you, and he will dwell among them. God dwelling among his people is mentioned by John in the front book he wrote towards the front and the last book. What does Jesus' name mean? Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with us. God himself came down on a rescue mission to earth. God the Son came down to dwell among us. And now instead of dwelling in houses made of stone and wood or tabernacles, God can dwell with us through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Let's go to 1 John 3.16. Please, 1 John 3.16. You can see this theme over and over again. The front end, the Word became flesh. The back end, we will dwell with God. 1 John 3.16. In between, brethren, in between, Jesus coming and Jesus taking us to the new Jerusalem. 1 John 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And through the Holy Spirit, we are transformed into his sons and daughters. God dwells in believers and we become his sons and daughters through the new birth. He adopts us. Let's go to one more verse here. Ephesians 1.3. God is building his family. He's dwelling in us. Praise God. This was his purpose. This is his ultimate purpose. We should align with his ultimate purpose. Brethren, we can misalign with his ultimate purpose, but we need to align with his ultimate purpose. Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which we are. Are ma- which, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. This was God's plan for all of eternity, to have sons and daughters. Praise God. If you're part of his family tonight, God had this in mind for you. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, I could go on and on, brethren, in the scriptures, with this central theme, but I don't want to wear you out. How does this good doctrine of understanding what God's purpose is in creating us impact our walks in many ways? Let's finish with some practical impacts. Remember, God's highest purpose that he reveals about himself, what he is, what he is working to, you know, we sing that song, he's always working, he's always working. What he is working towards day and night is to have a special people that will dwell with him now and forever. One impact, brethren, one impact is that Knowing and believing that God's highest purpose is to dwell with us gives us comfort, brethren, in trials and tribulations when we feel alone. If God's highest stated purpose is to dwell with us and and in us, and it is, if we know and believe what the Bible says, I want to dwell with you forever. I want to be with you forever. I am with you now. I am with you at death's door. I am walking among you. My presence is among you. You are my temple that I dwell in. You are my sons and daughters. I have placed my spirit in you as a down payment of what is coming. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you because my plan for you is to dwell with me forever. That knowledge is very strong comfort to us in trials and tribulations. When we, break, when we know how committed God is to having a people that will dwell with him forever, that gives you good comfort. And that's why it says in Romans 8.28, and you're familiar with this, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Amen? This is strong comfort. Let us remind ourselves of this truth and receive comfort from God when we're going through those struggles. He is taking us through this life and into glory. It's his plan. It's not one of his plans. It is his plan. It is his focus. It is his will. All of his promises are yes and amen. What about prayer? God wants to dwell with us. God wants to dwell with us. It's so abundantly clear from the scriptures that God wants to dwell with us and for us to be in his presence. What about daily prayer? What about reading his word? These are ways right now that God might dwell with us through prayer and through his word. One practical way is his presence is in his word, right? And it's in fellowship with other believers and it's in worship. If God's central goal is to have more sons and daughters, brethren, and to dwell with them too, this has to affect us. This has to affect us. We can't ignore his wishes in this area. Brethren, as believers, we have to adjust our walk sometimes, not just to live comfortable and blessed Christian lives, but to reorient ourselves towards what he wants the most, to see more people dwelling with him. Sometimes we have to turn around our life, so to speak, to fit in with what he wants. There are times as Christians that we do not see the big picture or we ignore it. So we leave our puzzle piece on the table and we don't try to fit in with what God's puzzle is. Knowing the big picture, we have to feel constraint from that big picture and be willing to let God swivel us around in our lives sometimes as he desires to fit in. Sometimes look at our lives and say, I'm not fitting in with what God wants. I need to make some changes. Sometimes a lot of changes. A complete 360 sometimes so that we might fit in. Another practical application is this has to, this has to affect how we see our puzzle piece. It's going to have to fit into the bigger puzzle. You know, a puzzle piece that thinks it's the whole puzzle, that's a problem. That's a problem. A puzzle piece that thinks it's the whole puzzle is missing the big picture of what God intends. A puzzle piece that is trying to just live its best life now but does not fit into God's puzzle is not serving God's purpose. God wants to spin us around sometimes so that we might fit in his giant picture. There are going to be plenty of blessings from God in the equation when we obey him. But we should not be puzzle pieces unto ourselves. Our purpose is to encourage others and help them find their way to that God can dwell with them as well. You know, the peace will fit into the church as well, where God has set you, because that is God's design. The church is one of the ways how he dwells with us now. This is his plan, not ours. He makes us into a people, a bride for Christ at his return. This is God's overarching concern and the work of the Holy Spirit to work through the church. And the local church is an important part of accomplishing God's will. And it's practical too, brethren, as it affects our conformity with the world. When we're blending in with the world, we're not lifting up Jesus Christ and glorifying him and leading others to him. That transformation within us is what draws other people towards Jesus. 
And that fits perfectly with what the scripture says. One final verse and I'm done. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, And what agreement has the temple of God? Us. With idols. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. This is repeated from the Old Testament. Verse 17, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That scripture says all I've been talking about. When we transform, we become his sons and daughters. Don't conform. We are the temples of the living God. He wants to dwell with us. Amen, brethren? He wants to dwell with us. Let's not lose sight, brethren, of God's highest purpose in this world, to have a special people that belong to him, that will dwell with him forever, and let's work towards doing his will, which is making that group of people as large as it possibly can be before his return. Amen? So that's the word for tonight. I know it's simple, but I just wanted to encourage you in that regard. And so I'm going to finish with a word of prayer and then dismiss you all. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clear vision of your word towards what is important to you, Lord. Please help us to adjust our walks, our lives, to fit in where you want us to fit in, Father, to accomplish the big picture, so to speak, O God of what you have in mind for all of mankind, Lord. Help us to be active workers and contributors and to do everything we can to find our place in your body to accomplish your will, Lord, to accomplish your big will, O God. Please help us, O Lord, through the Holy Spirit. We know it is your intention to dwell with us always. We thank you so much for that. We praise you for that. So thankful for your presence, O God. Please bless my brethren. Help them to incorporate this word into their walks and be blessed in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless.